welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee-free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. All right, what's up, everybody? This is SGX coach Mike Diebler, and welcome to the OCR Underground Show, your best resource for smarter OCR training to maximize performance and improve longevity in the sport. Welcome to episode 52. If you're interested in the show notes for this episode, just head on over to the show notes at ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 52. Well, I've been on the road a ton, which is why I haven't been able to get too many episodes back. So I'm excited to be back for quite a few weeks now before I hit the road again. So I'm doing my best to get some episodes out. And in fact, last night I actually recorded for a side project with another podcast that I've been working on that I wanted to uh, promote a little bit. If you're interested in uh, a a little bit of different topic here, we do talk OCR, we talk uh, running in general, and then we talk uh, just training in general. And uh, it's me with coach Daniel Schamberg, who's more of an ultra endurance guy. So he's out there running and we kind of go back and forth. I don't want to do an ultra race. He doesn't want to do an OCR. So we're trying to talk each other into doing each other's sport. And uh, we get into just our philosophies in training, how we deal with clients. We get some other trainers on the show. Uh, It's just a fun fun conversation that we have. Uh, We have a few episodes out. You can check that out. It's called uh, Everybody's an Athlete. And I will put the links to that uh, if you want to check out our Facebook group and um, uh, and the uh, episodes that we have put out. It's, it's been fun so far. So definitely check that out. Well, I have been traveling a ton, as I mentioned. And uh, one of the trips was to Utah for the Spartan Super out there, which was a, a fun race. Definitely a tough one. Um, I think it comes to expect any time you sign up for one of the national series that you're, you're in for a, a pretty tough race. Um, obviously, in Utah, in the mountains, it, it w- and a little bit at altitude, it, it was for sure a, a challenge. Uh, this one, in particular, I felt was basically a mountain run, and then at the very end, it was an OCR. So um, I'm sure they did that for the cameras to make it easier to see a lot of the um, the the obstacles at the end. Um, but really, there weren't a ton of obstacles in the beginning. A um, couple walls, barbed wire crawl, not a whole lot. It was just a bunch of mountain to go up and down so uh, fun race though I think just a heads up if you are going to sign up for one of these races that will be televised and uh, and really most of these Spartan races you can just expect the end to just be jam-packed with with tons of obstacles which it's great for for viewing though as soon as I finished uh, being able to go back and, and check out some some clients get through some of those obstacles at the end was was great so a uh, fun one I would definitely love to go back to Utah so if you haven't checked that one out I definitely would put that on your on your list there. But in this episode, uh, we're going to start with Inside Mike's Mind. I'm going to talk about consistency, change, and progression. Uh, I want to go over some research on breathing masks. I know those become super popular, and we're going to talk about are they, are they worth it? Are they uh, living up to the hype? And a little bit more on breathing mask training. Uh, in our coach's interview, I have on SGX coach Megan Beck, who has a unique background of not only, not only being a, a, a personal trainer and a strength coach, but she's also an ATC or an athletic trainer. So she has that unique background of uh, being able to uh, 
uh, look at the body from a, a diagnostic point of view with injury and then recovery and, and training. So we, uh, we got into a great conversation. We touched on uh, some common injuries, injury prevention. We talked on uh, gender differences and uh, some things that you would want to do specifically for men or women. Uh, we get into some of our other best training practices that she's using uh, with, with running and, and strength training. So a lot of great stuff from, from Coach Megan. So let's get into this episode. All right, I wanted to start off this episode with an Inside Mike's Mind segment, and I want to start with asking you a question, and that is, are you happy with your current training status or your performance? And I know that's a loaded question, and you're probably listening to this podcast to get some ideas on how you can get better. And obviously, this is something we all want. We all want to get a little bit faster, a little bit stronger, lose some body fat, whatever it might be. There's, there's always those changes that we want to see in our performance or in our bodies. Now, the hard part is making that stuff happen. And uh, there's a couple things that I wanted to, to focus on specifically on this topic. And first is change. So if you want to see a change in, in, your, in an outcome, in your performance, we have to make a change in your routine. And I know that might sound totally obvious, but this is a hard thing to do, right? We are used to normal and we're comfortable with normal and we're comfortable with our routine. And that's why it's so hard to break habits and, and change things, right? We, we want to stay with the norm and, and continue doing things that we, we do. And even when we maybe push ourselves a little bit harder, we're usually pushing ourselves harder with the things that we're already doing. And hopefully this makes sense, but we want to start doing different things and, and making these changes in, in our exercise program, in our routines, in order to see the, the change that you want in your racing. And what I want to, the, point, the main point I want to make is we need to change something on the daily level. And that's where these big changes start. And it might not lead to anything dramatic, but you have to change something right now that you're going to do today, tomorrow, you know, sooner the better. Um, but we have to find a way is how can I make some change in my routine? Um, leading to the next point I want to make is that that change will be consistent. Now, it's so easy to make a change and then just go right back to the things that you've always been doing, right? Because you step out of that comfort zone and you don't like it, you're uncomfortable, obviously, and you want to go right back to, to where you're comfortable. So we have to make sure when you do step out of your comfort zone and, and do make a change that you start embracing that discomfort and you get ready to, to be uncomfortable so you can get used to it and then eventually it will become the norm and it, it won't feel so bad anymore. So um, we have to be ready for something like that. The other thing is maybe and I'm going to go on the other end where you might change all the time, right? Where you're jumping from one thing to the next. And this isn't a good thing either, right? We need to make a change, but we need to allow that change to take place. And this is where, you know, that, that shiny new ob object syndrome where you're jumping around from one thing to the next, where you see this workout posted and you jump on it and then you see this new exercise or this new piece of equipment you buy and all these different things. And you don't, you never settle down and really understand, well, why am I doing this in the first place? So, and that's another easy trap to fall into. So what we really need to focus on on small changes that we can do on, on a consistent daily level. So uh, th the main thing that this comes down to is 
you need to understand how to implement new habits. And this is a really, again, a really difficult thing to do. So we have to find out what is a new habit or a new routine, if you prefer to call it that, that you can start doing starting today or, or maybe tomorrow when you wake up, whatever it might be that you can consistently do. So kind of your homework that I would leave you with is Pick this one new thing that you can do. Now, maybe this is uh, waking up earlier. This is getting an extra run in, figuring out your miles. Uh, there's a lot of different uh, different changes you can make. So you have to decide. I can't tell you what to do. You're going to try and find the thing that will make the biggest impact um, that you can start doing on a daily and weekly level and then consistently do it. And then we monitor, right? Because we don't want to just randomly change things. We'll, we'll change something. We'll do it for a while. We'll be consistent. And then we're going to monitor it and see, did, did this work or not? So this is a topic that I know I've been discussing with some of my, my coaching clients to just really start making that change because sometimes that first step is, is really hard to do. So we focus on what, what's the one thing we can do right now to get you, get you better and what can we, we do um, to get you doing this consistently. And I know there's a lot of information. You, you listen to this podcast, you listen to probably some other podcasts, you, you check out blogs, you watch videos. There's a lot of information out there. So what I recommend is make it simple. Start with something you know you realistically can do, and then you can always get uh, more advanced from there. But, but start with a simple, small change. Right, start to master that. Once you get that down, now we can make some of those those bigger changes. But always gotta get the fundamentals down first. So I hope that that helps you. Um, pick pick that one thing, make the daily change, and then be consistent. And I, I know that's going to lead some to some some great progress down the road for you. All right, in this week's research review, like I mentioned, we're going to talk about uh, restricted breathing masks. So these have obviously become really popular and lots of races are at altitude, so people are looking for every advantage they can get um, to prepare for some of those races, but do they actually work? Now, there's been a decent amount of research out there. I found one um, recently in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research that specifically looked at resistance training. So I think the key with with uh, breathing masks is really depends on what your goals are, whether they're going to work or not for you. So um, let's go over this study and then I can talk about some kind of takeaways on what you want to leave with this. Um, so what they did, like I mentioned, they want to look at lower body resistance training and how breathing masks may have affected that. So with resistance training, you might have a couple different goals, but they were specifically looking at strength and hypertrophy or, or building muscle mass. And what they did, they took uh, 10 healthy men, so not a huge sample size here, but they had them test their 12 rep max and they looked at the uh, knee extension exercise, squatting, and the leg press. And uh, they, they got their pre-measurements and they measured their heart rate and their oxygen saturation after each, each uh, bout. When they uh, came back for a separate section, they actually did... Um, those three exercises, but they did four sets of each to failure uh, using a percentage of, of that 12 rep max that they used earlier. And they were just counting how many reps they did. Again, they measured their heart rate and they measured oxygen saturation. And they also, after it was all over, they measured their perceived exertion, which just meant how hard they felt they were going. Uh, and then they had them come back a third time and they did the same test using a breathing mask to see what the differences were and they tested the same things there. Uh, their main finding that they found in the study was that when using the resistance breathing mask, there was actually a decrease in 
the uh, total volume, and mainly meaning they were not able to get as many reps. Um, on average, it was about 12 reps difference or 12 reps less that they were getting when they were using the breathing mask. Uh, they did find a, a small decrease in oxygen saturation, although it was not significant, and they did see uh, an increase in um, perceived exertion. Uh, although uh, I do want to mention they did not find much of a difference in volume with the leg extension. So meaning uh, leg extension compared to a squat or a leg press is not as intense. So maybe the breathing mask didn't really have much influence on kind of a lower intensity exercise versus some of the more compound, compound type movements. So their recommendations were if your primary goal is strength or muscle size, using a breathing mask during your training is probably not the best method to do because you are looking to increase volume if, if those are your specific goals and the breathing mask actually reduced that and made it feel harder. So the idea is you couldn't push yourself as hard as you want to go because of the, the breathing restriction there. So um, thought that was kind of an interesting study. Makes sense if, if those are your goals. Now, I know strength and size might be a goal, but they, they might not. So it's just important to remember what is your specific goal and why are you wearing a breathing mask in the first place, right? If you're just trying to get bigger, wearing a breathing mask obviously isn't probably going to be the best fit for you. If you're trying to get stronger, it may not be the best option either. Now, I'm not saying you can't wear a breathing mask. It's not going to do anything because there are some studies out there that show it, it will help with different things. Now, um, it's hard to really tell with some of the studies out there because sometimes, like in this example, they just did a one-time thing, right? Which is something we call an uh, acute response to wearing a breathing mask. So it's hard to tell just based on one training session what this really does. But I think we can make an, an assumption that wearing a breathing mask and doing kind of traditional strength methods for, for building strength is is probably not going to be the best method that you can take. Now, if you were doing something more like circuit training um, and, and doing an intense workout like that, it may be more beneficial. And there is some research showing that and uh, doing more um, interval training, uh, circuit training, and or just uh, aerobic training in general might have some benefit with, with the breathing mask. Now, the, the mistake people make is it it's not altitude. We call it a restrictive breathing mask. We don't want to uh, get confused and call it an altitude training mask because it's not changing the pressure of oxygen and that's the main thing that happens at, at oxygen right the the um, the amount of oxygen is actually similar but the uh, partial pressure of oxygen is what decreases and it's harder to get the oxygen in there so it's not just uh by restricting the air are you really creating that same environment um but that being said one thing that this study did look at was oxygen saturation. And th this is an important thing because that is a response of being at altitude is you will see a decrease in, in oxygen saturation, basically meaning there's less oxygen in the blood. Now, when you do this repeatedly, you know, like a couple weeks at altitude, your body will respond by producing more red blood cells so we can create more, so we can have more oxygen in the blood. And that's kind of the idea behind being at altitude and, and the uh, response to altitude, why so many people will go to altitude to, um, to get ready for, for endurance events like this. So, um, it, it's important to remember though, that we, you've probably heard that whole idea of, of, uh, live high, train low. And this is kind of the idea behind it, because if you're training at high altitude, you are not going to be able to put forth that intensity that you might need 
um, to get the the normal responses from exercise. Like high intensity interval training is a lot more challenging at altitude, obviously, and your speed is going to decrease and your work output is going to decrease, and that might not be the response that you want. So that's why they say you live at altitude, but you train at lower altitude levels for the the best response there. Um, and I know logistically this may not be possible and that's why the the idea of a breathing mask comes in handy Um, but i do want to touch on the point that some studies show that you can actually actually create kind of this hypoxic environment using a a breathing mask which is kind of cool and basically what happens is when you breathe out right you're breathing out carbon dioxide that carbon dioxide is kind of stuck there in in that space in the mask and then the next time you breathe in you're actually breathing in more carbon dioxide right so picture somebody who's hyperventilating and you might give them uh, that bag over their mouth so they can actually breathe in some air right so the whole idea with this uh, gas exchange is oxygen and carbon dioxide and we, we want these in balance. And what happens sometimes when carbon dioxide levels start to increase, we have uh, signals or our, uh, we have receptors in our blood that will send signals to our brain to basically tell us, hey, we need to breathe more. We need to get rid of this carbon dioxide, get more oxygen in. You start breathing heavier, potentially even hyperventilate with something like this. So the idea behind these training masks and actually breathing in a little bit of, of carbon dioxide and getting your oxygen saturation to drop a little bit, then we actually have a similar, and I don't, again, I don't want to say this is like being in altitude, but you have a similar response to living in altitude, which is kind of cool. Uh, the thing is, this is hard to do. So a lot of the studies, when they look at you know running on a treadmill for, for 10 minutes or, or doing interval training, uh, we have to do this at a high enough intensity in order to get a low enough oxygen saturation for this to be significant. And typically what they're looking for is 90% or below, right? Normally you're probably around 98% oxygen saturation. So we're trying to get a drop to about 90%. That's what they were equivalent to about uh, 3000 meters of of elevation. So um, that's the goal, but this this is hard, right? So it's, it's gonna take a lot of practice to be able to do something like this. This is working out really hard with one of these masks on. Um, having a hard time breathing, getting comfortable with that, and then um, making that adaptation eventually. So the gains you might get from something like this could could be very small and, and non-significant for some people. So it really depends on how important this is to you. If you're getting nervous about a race like Tahoe or somewhere at altitude, then this might be something to, to make you feel more comfortable, which leads me to the last point I want to break uh, bring up is there is a psychological component to this, which you don't want to overlook. And sometimes we we get caught up on the science and I, I like talking science and it's great to see these physiological changes that occur in the body. But sometimes those psychological changes are just as powerful the, that you believe you are getting a benefit from something you want to call it placebo effect or whatever. But you're you are training in a hard environment. You're having a hard time breathing. You're teaching yourself to stay more relaxed control your breathing, um, be more comfortable getting uncomfortable, kind of what we talked about earlier in this episode, and, and just getting, getting better, um, get better training in these uncomfortable positions when you're having a hard time breathing. So now, even if you didn't have this uh, decrease in oxygen saturation or, or any of those uh, altitude-like uh, adaptations, you are still getting the psychological benefit of, hey, you're training in a really hard environment and you're getting better and better and more comfortable at it. So when you do get into a race and you're you're starting to breathe heavy and get out of breath, you can actually calm down, 
get better breathing patterns and and push harder than somebody who wasn't practicing something like this. And that's why I think breath work in general, and I know I've talked about some of this in, on previous episodes, is such an important thing that you can throw into your, your program. So um, so I think on, on the research, you know, it's still new. The jury's out for some hard facts, but I think there are some promising things depending on what you're trying to do with your breathing mask. And just remember what's, what's the ultimate goal. If you're just wearing it every single workout, um, you're probably not going to get what you think you're getting it out of it. So, um, and, and, and on top of that is you are going to see a decrease in performance when you wear this. So it's not something you want to wear every workout because you're not going to be able to push yourself as hard as you need to and, and run as fast as you can and do some of these harder workouts. So it's something I would, um, if, if you're going to do it, you, you throw it in there regularly, just not all the time. So maybe once or twice a week, you, you do a workout with the breathing mask on, and then your other workouts are without it. And, and that way you uh, get a little bit of, of uh, both, both sides of it there. All right. So hopefully that helps uh, help you out if you're thinking about buying one or if you have one, giving you a better plan on how you can start to implement it. All right, real quick, guys, I just want to take a minute to thank our sponsors for making this show possible. First up, we have Handmaster Plus. This is an awesome grip training tool. If, uh, if you're worried about some of those grip obstacles, this is something I, I personally, I just keep it on my desk uh, at home and at the studio. Uh, it's, it looks like a stress ball that has bands going through it, so you can create that grip training imbalance where you're both closing the grip, which is what most people do, but then you're also stretching the bands out uh, as you open the hand, so you're actually creating better balance in your hand and actually a great... Uh, recovery tool and and to help with if you're having things like uh, elbow pain because you're doing so much grip uh, this is a, a really cool tool that you can you can check out um, check it out at uh, handmaster handmasterplus.com and again I'll put uh, links in the show notes for this episode also want to bring up uh, designer protein and they have uh, actually a new product out their egg protein which actually is tastes really good um, that's one I would definitely recommend trying if you're looking for different types of protein out there or I always have my go-to uh, grass-fed whey uh, and I'm a big vanilla fan for, for both of those but whatever you like um, check out all of their products at designerprotein.com and don't forget use code SDPremier20 and get 20% off your order and then last up is Mobilitas who makes high quality mobility tools so check out their foam rollers, peanuts, spheres uh, mobility floss, lots of great stuff they have there. And again, you can get a fat discount, 25% off when you use code OCR underground. Uh, you can check out their products at yourjointsshouldnthurt.com. Or again, just go to the show notes and you will see uh, all the links in there as well as the promo codes. All right, it's time for our coach's interview, and today I have on Megan Beck. Uh, Megan is a certified athletic trainer and a certified strength and conditioning specialist, which is really a, an awesome and unique combination to have. Uh, she has a master's degree in injury prevention and performance enhancements from California University of Pennsylvania, and she's been putting out some, some awesome videos, content on her social media, as well as doing a ton of work with Spartan. So I really wanted to get her on here uh, for this interview interview to really um, just share some insight that she has with, with her training philosophy and, and injury prevention. All right. Well, Megan, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm awesome. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today. It's going to be a great one. Thanks for having me. I look forward yeah. to it. 
All right. So let's get started how I start most of the interviews. And let's just let our listener know a little bit about you, your story, and kind of how you got involved specifically with, with obstacle course racing and uh, coaching and racing yourself. I just always like to hear where people got, got going with it. Yeah. So I am originally from Wisconsin. I went to school in Minnesota for athletic training. I've always been an athlete. I was a gymnast, cheerleader, soccer player, but I always hated running. (laughs) Um, So then I wound up moving out to Pennsylvania for grad school. Um, And while I was out there, I realized that I wasn't a big fan of sitting around waiting for people to get injured. And (laughs) I fell in love with strength training. I loved everything about sports performance and um, really helping people get better, prevent injuries, and just build a total better body. Um, So I myself was big into strength training and realized that I didn't have any specific goals with it. I wanted something more challenging. Knowing that I never was a runner, I could never breathe growing up. I had a deviated septum, so I never explored the realms of running. Um, I learned about obstacle course racing and figured that would be a good challenge for me. It would force me to run, but also I'd be able to use my strength. Plus, I'm I'm always going to be a big kid. The thought of playing on the playground is just appealing to me. Mm-hmm. Give me a good multi-rig or monkey bars and I'm happy. <laughs> um, so I eventually moved out of Pennsylvania up to Boston where I'm currently located. Um, and I ran my first obstacle course race. It was an urban race in downtown Boston. Um, I absolutely loved it. And then I jumped in to Spartan from there and I've been racing for four years now, five years. Yeah. I think it's five years now. I absolutely love every second of it. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, you've been doing it a while. That's, it's still a relatively new sport. So for, to be doing this for five years is actually a, you know, decent amount of experience because it's a sport that hasn't been around, uh, super long. So that's, that's awesome. Um, So there's a bunch of stuff you talked about that I definitely want to touch on. I want to start with the fact that, uh, so you're not a runner and I've, I've talked about this on the podcast uh, in previous episodes. I'm the same exact way. I I've, I'm getting better and I've realized that my week, I'm the same way, you know, give me a rig, give me the twister. I'll, I'll go on there all day, but I'll get smoked in some of these runs just because that's for sure where my weakness is. So I, I know I'm working on it and I'm getting better, but I, you know, for my own personal, um, uh, help, I, I always like to hear others that were in that situation. Have you, do you feel like you've gotten better? Uh, because, you know, we still have to run in a lot of these obstacle course races. So is it something that you just kind of, you get through it to get through it or you train for it or what, what's kind of your situation there? I have gotten a lot better. Um, I work at Equinox now and they have this incredible class called precision running. So they're fartlek style runs on a treadmill. So nice. they, um, their intervals with sprinting and inclines, and I've seen my pace consistently get better and better. Um, I still get relatively bored when I go out on a run by myself, mm-hmm. but um, I am finding that I'm able to clear my head a lot better and just go and run for longer durations now, thanks to the precision run class and just my drive to get better. Um, I still will take a mountain race over a flat course any day. I was out in Ireland a couple weeks ago and it was completely flat and 
I, I knew that I could keep running, but I didn't really have an interest in continuing to just straight run because it was boring. Mm-hmm. So I want more of a technical trail. I want steep inclines. I want something that's going to keep my brain engaged along with my body. Absolutely. And I, I love the point you brought off that you you wanted to see the improvement and you wanted to get better and you knew what you had to do. And I, I found that that's really what's driving me as well. You know, I'm competitive and I taste a little bit of success with with a race, knowing that my run just wasn't that good, but I still did okay. And it's now like, man, if I if I put a little bit of time in, I can get that, um, you know, get a little bit more and maybe get a top 10, get a podium, whatever. So that's really what what motivates me. And I know you know, for a lot of listeners out there, there's, there's something, whether you might be the opposite, you're great at the running, but it's the obstacle stuff. It's the grip stuff. That's, that's the challenge. But I think having that why behind it versus uh, I got to go for a run or, you know, I just, I I just need to bear down and do this. That's going to make it those races. You just, you can do it. You just don't want to, or, you know, kind of along that, those lines. Whereas if you know the underlying reason behind it, now it's like, okay, I know that this is part of the process. And if I do it, I'm more focused on the end result. And that's, that's what I'm after anyway. Exactly. Um, thank God for age group this year. I <laughs> onto my first podium at the Jersey Beast. Nice. Congratulations. Shocked. And from there, I'm like, I, I, I like it up here. I'm just going to keep pushing and pushing. I've always thought, you know, I can pass anybody while they're in the burpee pit. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. now I'm realizing, like, what if I start to build up distance and I don't have to pass them at the burpee pit? So mm-hmm. I'm going to continue to run. So I can keep getting those podiums. Yeah, awesome. I think that's great advice there. Uh, so you mentioned uh, that class at Equinox, and you mentioned fartlek training. Now, uh, we we may or may not have talked about that on this podcast. I, I honestly can't remember right now, but I think that's worth talking a little bit about. So a lot of people listening may have never heard of that, and it's not just a funny word. It's actually a great uh, style of training. So why don't you just get into what, what is fartlek and, and what exactly would you do in a class like that? So fartlek style training is a pseudo high intensity style of training. You're going to do variations of sprints or higher intensity, um, shorter duration runs. And then in between there is a timed quote unquote rest break, but you're not necessarily stopping completely. You could be going at a reduced pace. It's about being able to push yourself for a length of time again, usually a little bit shorter and then giving your body a chance to back off and recover a little bit more. And you do that for a longer duration. So instead of going out for a 30 minute run and just see how far you go, you can go out for a 30 minute interval style run. So you're going to run for a minute or two at a faster pace and then you stop Um, You walk maybe a little bit and get into a lighter jog as you get better for, you know, one to two minutes. And slowly you can see the longer you can sprint or run at a faster pace becomes greater while your interval, your rest intervals become less. So during these classes, they have runs designed for almost anything. There's literally a run they call Heartbreaker, which is based off of the Boston Marathon. Okay. So they have three different segments to um, simulate what it's like doing the Boston Marathon. And they'll have right in the center, it's going to be a steep climb where you are jogging from you know 0% incline up to like 10% incline. 
you'll run for like a minute or two and then you'll come back down and you'll recover for a minute and then you go up to the next incline and you build that for a couple minutes then you'll take a break and then they go into that like sprint to the finish where you'll run at a solid pace for two minutes and then you'll back it off to a jog maybe like two miles per hour less than what you're running for two minutes and then you increase that first pace so you're running half a mile per hour faster than that first run and then bringing it back down to the two miles per hour less and you do that until you're sprinting for two minutes as if you're coming into the finish line at the boston marathon Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So it, I, I'm a huge fan of, of that style of workout because I think if you look at, you know, basically what you just, you just talked about a lot of different stuff that might be merged into one workout versus one, maybe, and, and nothing against going out on a long run and getting your miles in, but it's, those are the hard ones to get through when you're, you're just going and going and going. And on the other end, your high intensity, maybe hill sprints or something like that, where you're out there for 20 minutes or something like that, just exactly. running up the hill, walking down. All of those are great. But I love the that fartlek style or that play style where you you are doing a whole bunch of stuff. And it's not, I don't want to say random because there's a plan behind it, but it's all different. And think about what a race is, right? When you're you're going hard, right? You're out of the out of the gate, you know, you're that um once you get going, you're going to go a little bit faster than you're, you know, you're going to go for the whole race, but you just want to get out there and then you're going to settle into a pace. And then there's a hill you got to get up and then you're going to be running fast downhill and then you're going to be on an obstacle. And, and that's, you know, what you training wants to be similar to that. And, and that style of workout's great. So if you've never, um, anyone listening, if you've never done that style of workout where there's all these different types of training merged into one, definitely recommend checking it out because it, it is awesome. And if I can plug something quick, go for uh, it. I have. Um, I am actually now writing the workouts of the day for the Spartan race. Sweet. And we are building in slowly more fartlek runs in at least the endurance days that I've written. So yeah. we have plans for like the sprint, the super beast, mountain training, running, and we. Um, specifically in our mountain training plan, we do talk about all different kinds of running programs specifically to get you a, um, to become a stronger runner. And fartleks are one of the way, um, main ways to do that. Awesome. Yeah, so that's great. So definitely be on the lookout in your inbox. I'm sure all of you guys out there are getting those Spartan workouts of the day. And if not, um, I'll put a link in the show notes to show you exactly how you can get those. Um, also, I want to move on to uh, your your background. You have a unique background. You're a, a coach, and you're designing these workout programs, but you also uh, have that athletic training background, and that's probably a unique perspective. And one of the things I try and really push on this podcast is the idea of, hey, it's great to work out hard, but I've seen what people do when they just try and put the pedal to the metal and go nonstop, and you're going to get hurt. I mean, it's just a matter of time. If you're 20 years old, you'll be able to get a lot away with a lot more than if you're 50 but really anywhere your age group is if you're just trying to crush it every single time and do stuff you're not supposed to do you're going to have injuries so i'd love to get kind of your perspective on when you when you're dealing with uh, designing a workout program what are some of your thoughts kind of with that athletic training background that might go into designing a program for for a client or or you know with the workouts of the day so when i design a program First, for a client, I focus mostly on different kinds of screens. I like to do kinetic chain assessments, functional movement screens, gait assessments. Um, I'll just look at basic posture and identify the areas where their body's weak 
and what it, where it needs to be stretched a little bit more. And then I design the program specific to them. Um, then depending on how much time they have to be in the gym versus other places, I may give them splits targeting their needs um, for like upper body, lower body, push, pull, or individual muscle groups. Now for workout of the day, I take just a broad generalization of where society today is in need. So we push far too much, particularly in our upper body. We sit in desks and chairs all day. So, you know, we typically have that forward rounded shoulders. Um, our hip flexors are always tighter. Our glutes are a little weaker. We um, have historically bad ankle mobility, knee mobility. So I like to focus on correcting those kinds of things. So I love doing all kinds of pulling work, um, hamstring eccentrics, uh, shoulder stabilizers, scap retractors, um, really working the posterior chain twice as much as the anterior chain. Mm -hmm. uh, so working that back half twice as much as you work the front half. Um, and then I love to do a lot of corrective exercises and I always try to write in, um, a strength stability day in whatever workout it is. So that means a lot of exercises that's going to engage the core first and foremost. So it could be anything from, you know, body weight exercises that still stress you or else um, you can do things on maybe a physio ball or, you know, a lot of single leg work. I'm also a big advocate for um, barefoot training because being outside of your shoe, your um, nerve receptors on the bottom of your foot is so much more engaged that it can then talk its way up through the kinetic chain of your body to activate your glutes and activate um, your entire core. Awesome. Yeah. So I, I love a lot of stuff you said there. I, I'm a big fan to screen first, right? When you can, uh, that tells us like the big red flags that are coming up. So I personally use the FMS as well, that functional movement screen. So I can just see, you know, are we good to go and everything looks great and, and we can kind of, you know, always proceed with caution, but I know you can handle probably most things that I would throw at you. Um, or no, like, let's not go running 10 miles right now, because it's only going to make things worse or whatever it might be. So I love to hear that, that you're, uh, you are screening when you can. And um, I, I wanted to, uh, you, you mentioned barefoot training, and that's a pretty uh, hot topic over the last few years. So how would you work that in? Because I, I, you know, I always, when somebody hears that, I don't want them to say, hey, let me kick my shoes off and do that 10 mile run. So I, how would you integrate barefoot training? And let's talk specifically if it's somebody who never does that. And what, what would you kind of recommend to get started with barefoot training? So the way I tackle it with my clients, because I love to work in the injury prevention and injury rehab setting, mm -hmm. I first ask them what their chronic aches and pains are. You know, how is their ankle mobility? How's their great toe mobility? Um, how are their knees? How is their back? And then from there, I um, will take a look at their posture and I'll put them in different things that may stress their balance. And then I'll just kind of watch how their feet move in their shoe. So some people may not tie their shoes tight enough or their shoes are just completely worn out. And then based on what I'm seeing, I ask if they can feel their ankle rolling or how stable they feel in the shoe and 
then suggest, okay, I want you to take your shoes off. Let's just have a seat. Have them sit down on a box. And I start off by just having them sit down and press their big toes into the ground. Just feel the difference from engaging your feet. So press that big toe in and everything up their kinetic chain into their glutes will become activated. And then I have them release. And then I have them do that again, but then stand up until they're eventually engaging their feet while they're squatting, doing just a basic bodyweight squat pattern. And then I'll put them in like a single leg reach or a single leg sit to stand. And they can feel the difference just by having their feet feel the ground. Um, so then I'm not going to have them jump into high impact anything. We're not going straight into plyometrics, no running. It's all starts with the basic injury prevention, strength stability work, everything in a controlled environment, um, particularly in the gym. And then as they become more comfortable with it, then we progress to more high impact barefoot training. Awesome. And I'll, I'll try and get some videos too of some of the exercises you were talking about and we can, we can post them in the show notes so people can see exactly what you're talking about. But uh, I, you know, I couldn't agree more. I think a lot of times, you know, especially in the initial stages of training, it's learning about that awareness and understanding what you feel in your body. And when you're wearing some of these shoes and sneakers that have, you know, a lot of support, thick, heels and you can't feel the ground and you don't know what your feet are doing but as soon as you go barefoot it's like oh yeah like all of a sudden i feel these things and without much coaching even you just do another exercise and it's like i feel way different when i squat now barefoot versus shoes so it's a great way a lot of times i'll use it just like warming up you know i'm not going to do my whole workout barefoot but i just like to warm up barefoot and i do wear minimal shoes so at least i you know there's something there to protect my feet but not a whole lot. So I still feel the ground within the shoes. So mm -hmm. that's a nice, you know, a little compromise too, if you're not ready for total barefoot. So, yeah. um, but awesome. Great stuff there. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you about uh, that we haven't touched on too much in uh, on this podcast is uh, women specific training. So I just want to get your thoughts on men versus women, um, you know, differences that we may want to consider. And when uh, for for the women listening out there, anything that they might want to pay in uh, particularly pay attention to? So we all know that women and men are, you know, completely different biomechanically. Women, we, we're, our body is designed to carry babies, so we have wider hips. Women are actually more susceptible to knee injuries because of this. So um, a little science behind it, the angle between our hips and our knees is called our Q angle. So women have a greater Q angle, which means they're um, from their hips down to their knees, their knees come in at a greater degree than they do for men. Um, this makes women particularly susceptible for ACL tears. Um, so college athletes, they're, the women um, are more likely for a non-contact ACL tear, which usually happens from like a landing mechanic. So coming off of a jump and their knee comes buckles inward or they do some kind of cutting movement and it just pops. So us as OCR athletes, we have to be getting down off of walls, off of rigs, off of almost any obstacle. And already women have a tendency to be a little more afraid. We may be shorter um, 
So landing already is a scary situation for women. So I like to encourage females to practice safe landing mechanics. So not only, you know, doing your box jumps to improve your height, but also jumping off of a box, but not in the way that you're probably thinking. So standing on top of a box and doing like a broad jump or even just stepping off of a box and landing in your proper squat mechanic to completely absorb the ground. Um, so then along with that, that's going to work the glutes completely um, to help keep your hips and your knees in proper alignment. So then when you do things like squatting, your knees don't collapse in and they don't fall outward because that's going to also show um, um, compensation that could make you more susceptible for these knee injuries. Yeah, absolutely. And I, a while back, I posted a video on talking about kind of this topic of how so many injuries do pop up in the landing. And it's like one of those things that a lot of people just don't think about. It's, you know, they're so stressed about jumping over, the, getting over the wall or, or whatever obstacle might be in front of them. And then they get hurt in the landing and it, like over those walls, like the bender in, you know, in Spartan race is a big one that I always warn my, my clients that, Hey, it, once you get over, that's not necessarily the hard part. Like once you get over it and you hit that last step or that last bar, you're, you're high up. Like you have to, you have to swing down and jump down. And I need you to really think about your landing. Cause it's, you might be a little awkward as you step off there. And these drills that you're talking about are a, a great way to just kind of prep your body and uh, get ready for some of these, these awkward landings sometimes and just get everything stronger and able to handle that amount of impact. So I think exactly we're kind of getting into a, like a nice little warm up. Like, you know, once you do some of your corrective exercises, you get barefoot, you do some drills. And then I love getting on a box and doing a couple, like, just like you said, like stepping off, stick the landing. And um, I think that's a great way to just prep your body for just about any type of workout that you're going to be going through. Exactly. And um, women never really take into account the differences in their bodies. So going into that whole hip knee thing, I mean, women already, because of the risk of osteoporosis, they need to be working more plyometrics into their routines. Mm -hmm. They need to be adding more body weight, um, pounding. So time on your feet, whether it's running, whether it's box jumps, any kind of repetitive mechanics is going to continue to strengthen your hips, your bones, your muscles, and just prevent you from injury as you get later and later in life. Yeah. And I think, you know, when people hear that term impact, it scares them when, yeah, sure, too much impact is a bad thing, but mm -hmm. enough impact is exactly what you need for all the things you just mentioned, like osteoporosis. Yeah. Even if right now that's not something you're worried about, you're probably at the point in your life where you should be because you can make a difference right now if you're younger. And doing these types of drills is a great way to start with that. And obviously your nutrition and other things, but this is a great way to kind of stimulate that bone growth and, you know, not going crazy at the same time, right? Get some impact, but listen to your body. And if you feel things not, not doing what they're supposed to, then you might have been overdoing it a little bit. Exactly. I actually just wrote an article for Spartan because we had our um, women's training program a couple weeks ago. And um, I learned that, um, females are actually reaching their bone mass density 
um, throughout puberty. So once they reach puberty, they can no longer gain more bone mass density or it's very unlikely. And you need to be loading your bones um, all throughout puberty. So, you know, through your adolescence. And then once you hit that point, it becomes more about just protecting your bones with your muscles. So realistically, moms, dads, you should be having your young daughters continue to get into sports that are going to keep that repetitive pounding on your joints, the gymnastics, the volleyballs, the basketballs, um, because that's how they're going to get strong bones along with the obvious, you know, milk. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, um, you know, kind of just maybe think of, you know, that idea that, Hey, like lifting weights stunts your growth when you're, when you're a kid. And we know that's not, not true. Obviously if you do something really stupid or break a growth plate or something like that, then obviously complications are going to arise, but kids should absolutely be doing. And when we say strength training, that could be push-ups, right? That could be bodyweight squats. It's just, that's enough of a challenge for them as they learn those movements. And it's not all about just muscle that they might be building or, you know, the same goals, goals as an adult, like burning calories. It's more just taking care of their body so that they're going to be able to do the things they want to do for as long as possible. And that's kind of what we all want. And, uh, you know, as you get older, it's not too late. You know, you're not, you're not screwed. If you're over a certain age, you're just a lot harder to do yeah. a lot of these things and might as well set kids up to be successful there, especially, uh, females, because we know they, un- unfortunately, they're going to be working against a few things, but there's absolutely some things you can do to prevent this uh, from happening or at least reduce the risk. Exactly. Awesome. Well, cool. I know we've taken a lot of your time and this is some awesome stuff, but um, I just wanted to, uh, if people want to get to know more about you, where can they find you? Or is there anything you're doing right now that you just wanted to, to plug and, and get out there? So I actually just launched my YouTube channel about a month and a half ago. It's called the OCR trainer. So very easy to remember. Um, YouTube.com slash the OCR trainer. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook as the OCR trainer. I, um, you can also reach me on my personal Instagram. Uh, it's Meggie B A T C. Um, and my Facebook page is core fit by Megan. Um, I'm also obviously the writer for Spartan Workout of the Day, so you can follow along to any of my programs through there. Feel free to reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook, and I'm happy to answer any questions you may have about those programs or other types of training. Awesome, awesome. And yes, the OCR trainer, you guys should have no issue remembering that, but just in case you have a brain fart and can't remember it. I'll put everything in the show notes, uh, all the social media, websites, YouTube page, so everyone can check that out, as well as everything else that we talked about in the interview. So Megan, thank you so much for coming on. This was great. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Yeah, my pleasure. Hopefully we'll see you at a race soon. Definitely. All right. Well, episode 52 is in the books. Uh, special thanks to Coach Megan Beck for just doing an awesome job providing incredible insight. I really hope you guys got a lot of that interview and start applying some of the things that we talked about there. Uh, special thanks to our sponsors, Handmaster Plus, Designer Protein, and Mobilitas for helping support this podcast. And uh, hope you guys are getting a lot out of it. Please, if you feel like we have helped you in any way, uh, go on to uh, iTunes or wherever you might be listening to the show and please give us a, a rating, comment, and let us know how we're doing and if there's anything we can do better. 
And don't forget to uh, subscribe to the show so you get all the latest episodes uh, for for your download and, and to listen in. And, uh, you know, I, I try and get these episodes out as quickly as I can. I, I usually get about one a month. Uh, I always try and do faster if I can. Um, but I do post more things on our social media accounts. So if you're not following us on Instagram, check out at OCR Underground or Facebook.com slash OCR Underground. Follow there and lots of more videos, content, articles, things like that that you can follow. And or just go to OCRunderground.com. And uh, if you uh, sign up for our uh, free uh, training program, you will actually get any uh, emails, tips, anything else that we send out uh, every week or so to, to help you out as well. So lots of different ways you can get some free, valuable content and uh, always here to help. But until next time, just keep training smarter.